the Gritty Growing Up podcast. Because mental health conversations don't have to be uncomfortable and argumentative. Gritty Growing Up is about challenging the perceptions of childhood and recognizing that whilst it isn't what it used to be, we can still make it positive. Join us as we share conversations, knowledge and strategies to help your family connect and move forward together. And welcome back to Gritty Growing Up. Now on this week's podcast, I want to talk about the role of ADHD. And for those of you who followed Dandelion for a while and our Gritty Growing Up podcast, you'll know that it's something we speak about quite frequently. There was an article from a documentary released this week exploring the role of ADHD and diagnosis and it's caused a lot of stir online. And a lot of people have tagged me in posts and asked what are your views on this and I have had to be honest and say that I feel like it's really not been a productive use of investigating on the simple basis that to be fraudulently completing assessments for ADHD knowing that you don't have traits to be asking family and partners to be filling in forms knowing that you don't have traits undermines the challenges that those who do have ADHD have to experience every day. And there is so much divide around ADHD. And having spent so many years working with children in education, I so frequently see schools who don't have the knowledge base to be able to understand the different traits and the varying presentations. We see so many professionals who don't understand the impact that ADHD can have on young people. And I see so many parents blamed for poor parenting for their young people who are struggling. And I feel that there was such an opportunity to raise the profile of ADHD awareness, to raise the importance of seeking out appropriate diagnosis. The only people who can make a diagnosis of ADHD are psychologists and psychiatrists. And I was reading a brilliant post that actually explored the role that it doesn't matter whether it's the private sector or the NHS. We see failures every single day. Now, I can only speak from personal experience that I have a thyroid condition and I spent 18 months fighting with my GP to get a diagnosis. When I actually opted to go private to seek out that diagnosis and get a full set of blood tests done that highlighted that I did have a problem, my GP refuted that I had only got that diagnosis because I'd paid for it. And I think the undermining role of that was that I felt completely invalidated, that I felt that my health didn't matter and I felt that the difficulties I was having because of the side effects were completely undermined. And whilst on a different scale to those who have ADHD or require an autism diagnosis or any other mental health need, we're seeing patterns here that actually we're undermining the challenges that those people face. And... I think there is a real scope of opportunity for us here to actually, instead of picking holes in the services that are just trying to catch the offload of the fact that, you know, we have two to three year waiting lists, we could actually be doing something really productive to raise our understanding and knowledge, our education and our awareness of the needs of children, teenagers and adults that have experienced these challenges. ADHD is a neurodevelopmental condition and it means that actually our brain structure is different. And... We so often hear, oh, but it's just trauma. And whilst they predict that around 20% of cases of ADHD are related to trauma, the others aren't. And for someone who has ADHD, actually, their neurotransmitters in their brain work differently. 
they've got dysregulated dopamine systems and that means that actually you know pleasure satisfaction motivation are directly impacted it's linked with movement and memory and pleasurable rewards and behavior and cognition and attention and sleep and arousal and mood and learning this isn't just a walk in the park this isn't something that people make up for most young people that i meet in my therapy practice and my coaching work Many of them have got to their late adolescence and still haven't been picked up. And so many are now receiving the diagnosis that if they'd had them 10 years earlier could have been profound. So when we're thinking about ADHD, we're thinking that there's either too much dopamine, there's not enough dopamine, or that dopamine's not being used effectively. And that means that actually our motivation levels are completely different. A couple of weeks ago, I was talking at the Connective Parenting Conference with Sarah Fisher and Sarah and I have been colleagues for a number of years and I was invited to come and speak about ADHD and some of the superpowers that come from it. But some of the conversations that actually arose from that was the role of ADHD, boredom and sensory seeking. And so often I just see children who are experiencing this as being labelled as bad. They're labelled as having poor behaviour, poor attention, that their parents need to just have stricter boundaries to just reduce their screen time. And there's actually very little understanding of what's happening in terms of their neuroscience, in terms of their biological function. When our dopamine levels are not being used effectively or they're too low, what we actually find is the body boosts adrenaline. And actually we're looking for adrenaline because actually it's the quickest way of fixing that gap. And so therefore we see a lot of young people with ADHD, we see a lot of adults with ADHD looking for drama and arguments and emotionally driven behaviours because actually it boosts the activation of adrenaline and fills a space for them. Now, the other side of ADHD is that they have lower levels of norepinephrine and actually norepinephrine works as best friends with dopamine. And it's present when we're aroused and we're alert and it gives us vigilance and it enhances our sort of ability to retrieve memories And when we think about someone with ADHD, we so often talk about them as being daydreamers, about being away with the fairies. And it's because of this lack of dopamine or the ineffective use of dopamine on top of having a challenge with lower levels of norepinephrine that actually we see so many of these symptoms. If someone has ADHD, they are often profoundly clever. We know that the top percentage of the richest people in the world are very often neuro-diverse. They're neurodivergent individuals and they have a profound ability to look at the world in ways that those of us that are neurotypical just can't. They are not unintelligent. What they do have is an aversion to boredom. And when they have these situations where boredom is really high, so sitting for prolonged periods of time, doing things that don't interest them, being asked to partake in tasks that just have absolutely no entertainment value, that they don't seem to be interesting, they don't tap into their interests, their desires, their preferences, we just see that actually that boredom level goes up. And boredom in itself is a stress response. So it creates a stress reaction in the body and with the low levels of arousal or underwhelm or understimulation that's caused, it's actually just aversive to somebody who has ADHD. Individuals with ADHD often have the most profound and incredible imaginations, but they are really sensitive to boring tasks. They don't have a deficit in attention, but they just actually have a greater sensitivity to things that they don't like. And that means that it actually takes up greater amounts of their attention and energy to take part in activities that they don't enjoy or they don't find interesting. And so it actually, the longer we ask them to do that, the lower the levels of their arousal become and actually it therefore takes them even more energy to engage. 
which is why we often see young people with ADHD know what they need to do. They might make massive amounts of lists and they might say and tell everyone all the things they have to do. But when it comes to actually sitting down to do that homework, that revision, those assignments that they don't find interesting, that they just can't do them. Now, in reverse, if you ask them to do something they like, their ability to hyper-focus just means that actually they'll plough it for hours. So this isn't an ability or a deficit in attention. When we think about that absence of dopamine and periods of boredom, what we're actually seeing is that a lot of young people with ADHD will become sensory-seeking. In the classroom, as they become more and more underwhelmed, more and less and less stimulated by their environment, they go looking for sensory input. They go looking for things to entertain them because they actually seek out adrenaline to make themselves feel regulated. And those sensory seeking behaviours actually have the purpose of just giving them more input into their senses to allow them to regulate themselves. And what we just frequently see with those young people with ADHD is those behaviours they will choose will not necessarily be in line with our expectations. We might see them irritating their friends. We might see them getting in and out of their seats, walking around the classroom, dropping or throwing things to give them an opportunity to move. They might ask to go to the toilet, to the office, to the pastoral room. They might start eating or drinking when they're not meant to be doing that. You might see them leaning or sitting or seeking input from their friends. They might push, they might shove, they might irritate, they might nudge them constantly. They might start arguments. They just want to start an argument to boost their adrenaline levels. They might start risk-taking. They might start thrill-seeking. The list just is not exhaustive. It goes on and on. And that child's regulating systems and that child's sensory inputs will be completely different. So what we actually need to do is, instead of picking holes in those that require an ADHD diagnosis, instead of picking holes in those that are questioning, do I have ADHD? Is there something different about the way that I see the world in comparison to my friends? I think actually what we need to do is start having a deeper understanding. We need to start educating ourselves. We need to start reading. We need to start asking different types of questions. And actually the biggest thing we need to do is we need to drop the judgment. We need to stop judging parents whose children are struggling and start saying, what am I seeing here? We need to start getting underneath the behavior and asking ourselves, what are the patterns that are occurring? What are the things that I'm seeing repeatedly? We need to start asking ourselves a different amount of questions about actually our own stereotypes that we have around neurodiversity. And we need to stop judging and saying that people are all jumping on a trend and actually just realising that the world is a very different place than it was years ago. And even 20 years ago, when I first got into working with young people, the world has changed significantly. There is information available now that wasn't before and people are just asking different types of questions. So we want to start thinking about actually for those young people that do have ADHD, those young children who are sitting on a fence with parents questioning if they have ADHD, what steps do we need to take to start supporting them? What information do them, their parents and us need to actually understand this better? And perhaps we could ask that our journalists start investigating why our systems are not currently providing enough opportunities for swift diagnosis to allow these young people to gain the access to help that they really need. Because if we want to improve the face of mental health, we need to stop judging and criticising and being offensive to those that are trying to make a difference and recognise that, you know, failures do happen. Failures happen every day. Failures happen in every single aspect of diagnosis in the medical world, in the psychology world. Things go wrong. 
And instead of fixating on those, actually start saying, how can we start changing this? What needs to be put in place to better govern this? What needs to be put in place to ensure that these things are right? And actually, what are we doing to be part of that collective step forward in the right direction? In the meantime, if you are working with young people who might have a question mark around ADHD and you are seeing that sensory seeking behavior in your classroom, how can we start giving them some sensory input from really constructive things? How can we start putting in place movement breaks? How can we start giving them opportunities to gain sensory input in really good, positive ways? How can we give them access to resources that actually help them to regulate? What are we doing in their break times to actually offer them the opportunity to actually calm their central nervous systems and to gain that sensory input? And actually, what are we doing to work hand in hand with those parents that desperately need us right now? And if you are a parent who is currently facing those challenges with your young person, start considering where's their sensory input coming in the day? What are they getting that's giving them a boost, whether that's feedback, whether that's the opportunity to build things, to access things, to seek out rewards? What are we doing to allow them to get that sensory input in really positive ways? Because if we do that, we can start raising the self-esteem and confidence of those young people that have ADHD. So until next time, stay safe, keep looking after each other, and we'll be back soon with some more Gritty Growing Up. Stay safe, keep open-minded, and we'll look forward to sharing more gritty moments with you next time. If you want to up your knowledge in the meantime, head over to dandeliontraininganddevelopment.com.